Well, hi friends. It's good to be with you in your homes again, but we really do need to stop meeting like this, don't we? Hey, if you're new with us, tuning in for the first time, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Auckland EV. And you know, this passage that we just read, it's got everything I love in it. It's got Jesus, it's got bread, fish, uh, boats and water. It's got all the ingredients, you might say, of a stellar story. And perhaps it's a familiar story to some of you. But first, let's ask God to help us understand His Word as it applies to our lives today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come to your Word today, would you by your Spirit help us to see Jesus afresh? We ask this in His name. Amen. Well, have you ever been in a situation in life where there is more going on than meets the eye? So take, for example, the America's Cup boats that are out at the moment. At first look, they're just a normal boat. A hull in the water, a sail, guys on board, they're moving around. But if you look more closely, if you look under the surface of the water, you'll see that there's something that totally changes how these boats can move. It puts the boat on a whole other plane. They, they literally fly. In life, one of the biggest mistakes we make is to miss what's really going on. We get fooled by what looks like a boat in front of us. And so too, we get fooled by the normalities of life, the immediate needs that are in front of us. And we can miss the deeper and more important things of what's going on. And the story we have just read is one of those stories. People are so concerned with the immediate surface level issues that they miss what's going on underneath the whole event. It raises the question for us all, have you really understood Jesus? Well, now the general sweep of this narrative sees the disciples returning from their first local missions trip. They're tired and they need to get some rest. They're also kind of processing the emotional loss of their friend, John the Baptist. He was beheaded by the Roman ruler, King Herod. So anyway, they decide to head across the bay for a retreat of sorts. And there's a large crowd there when they arrive. It's again showing how popular Jesus is. Jesus does some teaching there. He feeds them with just five loaves. And then later on, Jesus is seen walking on water out to the disciples who are in the boat. And then Jesus heads to another area and people are getting healed again. Now, at first glance, all these events seem like amazing miracles. And they are. But Mark shows us there's more going on when he records the reaction of the disciples in verses 51 to 52. It says this, The disciples were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. Do you see? There's more going on here, more than the, just the immediate, more than face value. So let's go back and have a look at what happened and see if we can pick up what's really going on. Our passage opens with Jesus listening to his 12 disciples tell of all they'd done on that local missions trip they'd just come back from. It had been an exciting but exhausting trip. They'd driven out demons in the name of Jesus that, that anointed and healed many sick people, all in the name of Jesus. They'd been so busy pouring themselves out that they hadn't even had time to eat. Now, Jesus is no doubt pleased with the report he receives, but he can tell that they're spent, right? They're knackered. They need some rest. And so he has compassion on them. He says, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. So they jump in the boat and they head to a remote, a desolate place. Now, Jesus is getting pretty popular by this point. 
many people see them leave. And so they run around the coast on foot. From all the surrounding towns, thousands and thousands of people gather. And they were there when Jesus arrives at the shore. Pick it up, verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. The reason Jesus has compassion on this large group of people is, is not because they are leaderless. They had leaders. They, they had leaders in their lives. They had rabbis and Pharisees and Sadducees of the Sanhedrin. Yet Jesus' point is that these people are not performing their roles very well. They're, they're not leading. They're not good shepherds. Now, frequently this term, sheep without a shepherd, comes up in the Old Testament when the people of Israel are lacking good and godly leadership. One example is when Moses is handing over the reins to Joshua. So in Numbers 27, starting at verse 15, we read, Moses appealed to the Lord. May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all, appoint a man over the community who will go out before them and come back in before them and who will bring them out and bring them in so that the Lord's community won't be like sheep without a shepherd. Moses is stepping off the leadership scene and Joshua, the man to be appointed in this context, Joshua is the second figure who is going to lead God's people so that they won't be sheep without a shepherd. <laughs> but then it's Deuteronomy 18, we're told that Joshua is not the promised prophet. It says, no prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. This is why Jesus has great compassion on the crowd. Jesus looks out at the crowd and, and what does he see? He sees what Moses feared. He sees they are sheep who have no shepherd. Now, the prophet Ezekiel looks forward to God's people having one shepherd. That shepherd is David's, David, God's king. So we read in Ezekiel 34, 23, I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them. He will feed them himself and will be their shepherd. But you see, when Ezekiel was writing this, David is dead. <laughs> so what does he mean that shepherd is David? So Ezekiel was looking forward to one coming who was like David, one in the line of King David. And what would that one do? Well, Ezekiel says that he would tend them. He would feed the sheep. He would be their shepherd. And so there has been this long waiting for a Moses-like prophet and a, and a David-like king who will shepherd God's sheep. And what does Jesus do? How does he act with compassion towards these people without a shepherd? Well, he becomes a shepherd for them. Take a look again at the end of verse 34. It says this, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. See, Jesus began to teach them. In this metaphor, Jesus demonstrates that shepherds of God's people are to teach them. Teach them the scriptures. Teach them the truth. Teach them the gospel. Because sheep need a shepherd. And Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus has so ordered his church that he places little under shepherds over local congregations. And this is still the case today. There are a whole lot of people, even here in Auckland, 
who for various reasons have found themselves in this situation where they are sheep without a shepherd. They're people who call themselves Christians, but they are without a shepherd. They might use terms like de-churched or I used to go to church, don't do church anymore, <laughs> had a bad experience of church. If you want to be a compassionate friend, I think one of the things we want to recognize is that you want to care about someone who calls himself a Christian. And if they're not going to church, they're a sheep without a shepherd. It's like they're a Christian without a pastor to feed them on the word of God. Uh, they're a Christian without community, building them up in Christ. These people need to be led, need to be guided in the right way. These people need to be fed with good doctrine. Friends, are you beginning to understand about the loaves? Well, the day is rolling on and Jesus has been teaching for some time. It becomes clear to the disciples that this crowd is going to need some food pretty soon. So they approach Jesus and they say to him, verse 35, This place is deserted and it is already late. Send the crowd away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Well, to their surprise, Jesus responds by saying, you give them something to eat. <laughs> they say to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and, and give them something to eat? See, 200 denarii is about uh, eight months wages. That's a lot of money. Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Now, just stop and think for a moment. When else has there been thousands of people in a desolate place? When else has there been thousands of people in need of feeding? Where else has God provided food for his people seemingly out of nowhere? In Exodus 16, we read of when God provided manna for the Israelites. 16 verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. God, through Moses, provides for them in the Old Testament. Jesus now sees these people the way God sees them. These loaves are about to be the fulfillment of the feeding of the multitudes back then in the wilderness. So the disciples, they, they find five loaves and two fish. Jesus gets the crowd to sit down in, in groups of fifties and, and hundreds. And we learn that there are 5,000 men there. It doesn't even include the women and children. Verse 41, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept on giving them out to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. Now, I have to tell you, whenever I'm catering for guests, I like to get the quantities just right. The less leftovers there are, the better I feel. <laughs> now, I recognize that that culturally might be a little different to some of you, uh, but I think that's the, the efficiency in me. H however, I, perhaps I need to take a loaf or a leaf out of Jesus' book, <laughs> because when he caters, he has more leftovers than when he started. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. From five loaves and two fish, the disciples collect 12 baskets full. See, it's not about the miracle of feeding the 5,000, as we commonly refer to this passage. Jesus is performing a parable. Jesus is recreating the scene from Exodus. And the link back to Exodus is the bread. 
the loaves. But the focus is to be on the one providing. Jesus is demonstrating that he is the promised prophet like Moses of old. He is the fulfillment of these Old Testament scriptures. And the disciples are seeing this miracle unfolding before their eyes in the context of confirming who Jesus is. Friends, Jesus will provide. He's a generous provider, one who is present with his people. And Jesus genuinely satisfies his people. So friends, what do you understand about the loaves now? Now, it's sometimes easy for us to think of the disciples as a little slow, a little slow on the uptake, if you know what I mean. But surely it's plain to see who Jesus is, right? But yet you've got to understand for these lads, the struggle that's going on for them. They're really grappling with the identity of who Jesus is. And we see this play out in the next scene as they struggle across the water. Read with me from verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side towards Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, uh, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanting to pass by them. Now, just stop there a moment. This is somewhat confusing for me, right? Jesus sends the disciples out ahead of him. He goes up a mountain to pray. And then early in the morning, sometime around 3 a.m., while the disciples are clearly struggling to make headway across the sea, Jesus comes walking on the water and he was just going to overtake them. was just going to pass them by. What's going on here? Why does Mark record this for us? Well, one of the better explanations for the end of the verse, I think, can be found in the book of Job. See, in Job 9, he's agonizing over the distance between him and God. And in verse 11, he says, If he passed me by, I wouldn't see him. If he went by, I wouldn't recognize him. And back in Exodus 33, where Moses is meeting with God in the tent of meeting. Verse 18, we read, Then Moses asks, Please let me see your glory. God replied, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. These are pictures of God's revealing himself, but at a distance. But here on the water, in this windy moment with the disciples, and when Jesus is going to walk by them at such a distance that they can't even make out who he is, what happens? Jesus turns and speaks, and he gets into the boat. Take a look with me. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. Do do you see it? Do you get the idea? Jesus is bringing us into relationship with God. He's God with us. He walks on the water, but then he gets into the boat, and the wind stops. 
Jesus's power is once again on display. And we're immediately supposed to cast our minds back to the last time Mark records Jesus stopping a storm. It was just back in Mark chapter four. Remember the key question that was raised then, Mark 41, who then is this? Now this time, as Jesus walks on the water, gets into the boat, he answers their question in chapter six, verse 50. Have courage, it is I, or literally, I am. That's the same phrase God used for himself when he introduced himself to Moses at the burning bush. I am. Jesus isn't just doing some party trick, calming the storm again. He's shouting to them and to us who he is. He is the great I am. But at this point, the disciples, they are so focused on the immediate. They don't understand. The disciples were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Let me ask you today, do you understand? Do you understand what the loaves are showing us about Jesus? The disciples, they they didn't get it. They don't comprehend. But then Mark, he does this funny little thing. He takes us to the other crowd, to another crowd on the other side of the lake. Look with me from verse 54. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout the region and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went into villages, towns or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe. And everyone who touched it was healed. See, twice in this chapter, Mark uses the word recognize. I take it he wants us to comprehend this Christ that one who fulfills the Old Testament, the one who is our chief shepherd. So do you see him? Do you comprehend this Jesus? See, he's not just a guy who can do magic tricks. He hasn't just come to fix our immediate wants and needs. No, no, he has come to show us a deeper, richer and more important truth. Friends, beware of the danger of getting our immediate needs met in church, in our Bible readings, in life. If we just want quick, easy answers, we'll miss what really matters. If we are living life for the next meal, the next party trick, the next paycheck, (laughs) we're missing out on the deeper realities of who we are and who God is. For we were made for a relationship with God. If we just focus on our immediate needs, you miss out on the eternal perspective of seeing who Jesus is. When you see the bread he provides like God did through Moses, when you see him as the shepherd of his people like David was of Israel, when you see him as the one who would really lay down his life for his sheep, when you hear him declare, I am is here, you see there is much, much more going on. If only we have eyes to see it. We come with so many immediate needs, but Jesus is showing us that our greatest need is actually to recognize who he is, the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. He is what Exodus is about, one who provides bread in the desert. He is God with us. He is the true shepherd. And if you come to Jesus looking for the immediate, you will miss the depth of who he is. But if you look closely, and deeply, if you listen to who he is, what he says, 
you will see he is so worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy of living for, not as someone to fix the immediate, but as the God who has come for me. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the one who provides for our every need. Thank you that he is the one who is able to uh, lead us and to shepherd us. He is our good and chief shepherd. And we ask that you would help us to continue to help others to understand who this Jesus is and what he has done. That he has come to lay his life down at the cross for us, his sheep. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.